You're listening to The Football Coaching Life, a podcast brought to you by Football Coaches Australia and making media the podcast professionals. This podcast is about Australia's men and women coaches, the people that we entrust to develop our players and teams. And today we're honoured to have Leah Blaney, head coach of the Young Matildas, and who also leads the Future Matildas program. And we'll get into that and, and work out exactly what that is. Welcome along, Leah. Hi, Gary. Thanks for having me. No problems. Let, let, let's introduce you properly. So Leah played her junior football uh, up in the Blue Mountains with Wentworth Falls Warriors, I'm led to believe, uh, played with um, Westfield Sports High and was the only girl, I believe, in um, MacArthur Rams under 14 boys team where she played before heading off to college in the USA. Came back to Australia, played with the New South Wales Sapphires in the in the old WNSL, Sydney FC, Canberra United, headed back to America with the Boston Breakers. Eskil Stuna United, DFF. Is that right? Did I pronounce that close to being right in Sweden? Very good Swedish. <laughs> played with the um, under-19s, the young Matildas, um, at a women's under-19 World Championships in Thailand, played with the young Matildas, the under-20 team in a World Cup in Russia, um, played 16 games with the Matildas, and I, and I saw that Tom Somani called you up as a 20-year-old to go and play in, a, in an Asian uh, Asian Cup where we were runners-up behind China. Um, before a, um, an ankle injury, I believe, uh, cut short her playing career and, and she moved across into coaching. An amazing coaching career thus far for, for someone that's, if we cut you in half and count those coaching circles, <laughs> still very young in coaching ages. But um, Leah's had a, a wonderful coaching career already, including MacArthur Rams, um, Westfield Sports High, where she's currently a full-time teacher, assistant coach for West Sydney Wanderers, uh, N-Swiss Football New South Wales, the NTC program, been an assistant coach through the uh, Football Australia um female coach mentor program, been to the Rio Olympics and the France World Cup as a analyst and a scout, and of course is now currently the head coach of the Young Matildas. Big introduction. Welcome, Leah. Thank you, Gary. Um, yes, <laughs> and some certainly excellent experiences along the way, both as a player and a coach. Yeah, look, th this isn't about your playing career, but we always sort of get the ball rolling and just talk about that because that's normally where the, the our love of the game comes from. So where did your love of football begin and, and how did that happen? It definitely started with my grassroots club. It went to Falls United Soccer Club. Um, I think that's where a lot of players' journeys begin and, and we probably don't give enough credit to those arenas. Um, yeah. So it definitely started there. I was the only girl um, in the club for most of my time there. Um, another girl joined and there was only two females within the whole club. So that's sort of how I've I've started. And um, amongst playing games there and, and everything like that, there was a ball wall at the end of the pitch that I probably spent half my weekend on and then the <laughs> weekend was actually playing in games. So, you know, it's that environment that made me fall in love with football, uh, the yeah. support coaches my parents those sort of people really got me rolling yeah i i think i read or heard somewhere that your, your dad might have flipped a trampoline up and, and painted some numbers on it so you had a bit of a target in the front yard or the backyard yeah look i, I know this is probably going to be good for their branding there's a whole lot of different <laughs> equipment around these days that can be purchased but a pretty average family who, who did their best and my parents gave um, us kids everything they could. The trampoline, once it got a hole in it, flipped on its side, 
a target spray painted on it and uh, voila, you've got a, a player who becomes both footed. <laughs> yeah. And it's great. And you just, you hear the, the stories of our golden generation of men and women. And in so many of the cases, so much of that early love came from kicking the ball around with brothers and sisters or mums and dads in the backyard and lots and lots of practice, which perhaps doesn't happen quite as often with some of the kids coming through today. Yeah, look, I, I definitely think we have a lot more um, structure in, in place for for players and I'm a person who's a strong believer in, in multi-sport athletes, right? So um, I've spoken about as a kid engaged in um, soccer a lot, but I also would play foursomes back AFL games on the, on the road with the kids in the street and be jumping fences and running around the neighbourhood climbing trees and, and those sort of things. And I dare say that all adds to your overall athleticism. Yeah. Yeah, and that athleticism for you took you took you um, through the junior programs, and then then off to a couple of um, youth world championships. That that must have been uh, one fantastic to play in that. But um, at at the time, with the challenges of not not a great deal of access for for young female players, how how was that, and how were those experiences for you? Yeah, so my my experiences later on in going into youth national teams um, was something that I was always a, a lot younger. So I actually got picked in our Matildas before I got picked in our young Matildas, which was something that was quite interesting. Um, and I went into our Matildas environment and a fantastic role model in Di Allegic took me under her wing. And um, as, a, as a younger player, having someone like her there to support me um, and we're still great colleagues today, and she's somebody who's fantastic in the game. Um, that sort of helped in that transition. Uh, at a younger age, I, I was always used to sort of going into environments that might have been um, a little bit of a, a stretch. You mentioned MacArthur Rams. I was the only girl playing in the NPL, what they would call boys, but it was mixed because I played in it, right? Um, yeah. Competition. So uh, it's something I've always been used to doing from a young age and yeah. uh, I seem to thrive in those arenas yeah yeah so how did how did Tom Samani who I think gave you Matildas um, uh, gave you start in the Matildas if you hadn't played for the young Matildas how did Tom Samani find you and give you a, a gig at that uh, Asian Cup yeah, look, uh, well, so previously I'd gone in under Adrian Sandtrack. Uh, we actually were part of an institute team um, at Valentine Sports Park where Alan Stagic was the coach of a lot of us youngsters who have gone on yeah. and represented our country. And uh, we got invited down to play against uh, the, the Matildas um, in Canberra. And we went down there, a bunch of young kids, and I think Stadge probably drove the bus down there knowing him. <laughs> and um, we took it to them and we did really well. And, you know, it was myself and players like Kylie Ledbrook. And um, from there, I believe it was Sandtrack who actually picked me up to go into a Matilda's right. camp at, at 16. Yep. And, um, and that was it. I, I sort of, that's how I got identified, really. Uh, yeah. As a youngster, I was always identified in different things and that's not the be on end all because under 12s I was actually cut from the local rep team at 13 I was one of the best in the country so getting cut at 12 probably the best thing for me right um yeah. so yeah it just kind of all happened from from there having a go yeah. really and and that took you to um 
um, play in the college program in the US? Yeah, look, I, I always was fairly academic and really cared about my, my education. Um, at that point, there wasn't a lot of opportunities. Like there's some excellent uh, educational opportunities at the moment where players can still stay in Australia and, and balance that. I yeah. felt like if I wanted to continue to play at a high level and balance school, that the US route was the best for me. Um, yeah. And it, it was an excellent experience. Uh, everyone's pathway is going to be different. Um, but how it uh, worked for me, the life skills, the relationships I've formed, and to this day are still very, very close with a lot of people over there. And then obviously the opportunities to play in the professional league over there. Um, yeah. It was a great move for me. Yeah. Was that where you first dabbled in coaching? Yes. So I uh, was a college student, not on a lot of cash, on, uh, on a scholarship there, but not on a lot of cash. And um, someone had said to me, you should pick up some additional coaching and hopefully US immigration aren't listening to this, but it was a cash in hand. And it was something that I, I could do flexible around my own training and my own study. I was uh, initially started out in a sports psychology degree and then I transferred into uh, education where uh, I'm now a qualified teacher. So it's in with what I did. I, I loved doing it and I didn't really at the time realise why I enjoyed it. Um, it was it mostly was that connection with the, the young players I was working with, um, a coach over there, uh, Tony DeChico, who ended up becoming my uh, Boston Breakers coach, got me working summer camps. Okay, um, yeah. Fantastic experience to live together with a group of coaches for a week and run camps <laughs> for Connecticut. Mm. Did the did you do any formal coach education through that process, or is it just a just really a matter of going on the camps and? Yeah, no, that? no, I didn't do any. I've been very lucky, even from when I was a player, to have some really good coaches that I've either played under, or that uh, even now that I've. I've been involved in their teams. So, yeah, yeah there, was no, there was no formal education. Um, it wasn't something that I, I thought I was ever going to be a coach at that point. Yeah. So didn't, did, did it give you any uh, different insights into the game? I, I know I, I, I was 19 and, and was introduced to Ronnie Smith and, and Eric Worthington, um, a couple of the old grandfathers of the coaching scheme nowadays. And... Uh, because I hadn't really been coached in terms of, you know, people that could put on sessions to change your behaviours, um, it, it was sort of a light bulb moment for me. I thought they were a bit like witch doctors because they um, that they could actually look look towards building and, and changing the outcome of games. Was was there any insight like that for you? Uh, it's definitely happened later on in my coaching career when I started to really invest in myself and um, take a lot more notice of it. Um, yeah. As I said, early on, the the quality of coaches I've had where we were taught the principles of play, we were taught uh, different passing techniques, ranges, dribbling, all those sort of things yeah. that um, you're exposed to at a young age by the, the right coach. Uh, it was it was a norm for me. Like more, I had yeah. more regular coaches who were like that than not, and uh, for that I'm very, very fortunate. Yeah. No, I... I agree that the principles of play in particular seem to have got lost for a, um, a few years, but um, 
I believe that they're well and truly on their way back. So for me, that's a that's a great blessing. So so where was your first real? Uh, sorry, you came back to Australia, um, played in the um, in the W League when it when it all kicked off, and then at 23, um, uh, essentially an ankle injury. I think sort of finished your playing career. Was was that right? Yes, yes, correct. I uh, suffered an injury playing for the Boston Breakers. Um, tried to come back from it through surgery and a couple other things. I had stem cell therapy and the whole deal to try and regrow some cartilage, um, but it, it wasn't successful. Um, hopefully in the future it's something in that stem cell therapy that, that will work yeah. fast. Yeah. So, so what then was your first real coaching opportunity? Uh, so I... <laughs> One of my old coaches from school uh, conned me into going out to the Proctor Cup in Bathurst <laughs> to meet a bunch of players, and it's actually ironic that now they're some of them are in the W League in Rosie Galea for uh, Western Sydney, and a few others have gone on to do some really good things. Um, but it was a group of girls, and I was going out there to um, just kind of pick their spirits up a bit. They were losing their coach, and um, I got extremely sunburned and I had a fantastic day and I watched game after game and the next day he called me, will you come out again? And I went out again and then the next Tuesday night I was their full-time coach. So <laughs> that's how it started and I'm so grateful for that weekend. <laughs> yeah. So how long did that first coaching stint last? I believe I was at MacArthur Amps for two or three years. So I was with yeah. the 14s, 15s, and then I did a little bit with their reserve grade um, there and then dabbled a little bit with an assistant role at, at Western Sydney where the assistant role at Western Sydney gave me a good opportunity to spend a lot of time around Tony Popovich. So yeah. he, um, you know, it, it took a good six months of hanging out on the fence because it's in his environment you're only going in if, you know, you're, you're somebody who he wants in there, which is, yeah. you know, of all yep. head coaches, I'd, I'd be saying. So, yeah, I, I'd watch a lot. I'd help out with equipment a little bit. And then I, I ended up in a position where um, I could meet with him and, and discuss things. And, you know, in the change room pre-Sydney FC versus Western Sydney um, yep. in their pre-game, that's, that's something that's huge for any coach. Uh, yeah. So that, that teamed with uh, my development at Westwood Sports High School. I, I took a gamble. I was a temporary or on a temporary contract at a school um doing just that sort of sort of PE teaching and an opportunity at Westfield Sports High came up and it was three weeks casual and yeah. Trevor Morgan had um I'd spoken with him and it was give up the temporary contract to take three weeks casual which was a risk yeah. uh, but you know I had a belief in myself and the school had a massive belief in me that um, I would come in and hopefully do a good job and I've been there ever since. <laughs> it's worked out okay. Yes, yes. <laughs> so if, <laughs> if, if you look back on your journey, how, how important were those early opportunities for you? They're, they're massive. And I go back to when I was cutting the under-12s from the team as a player. Um, yeah. That was something that was, yeah, that's helped change sort of who I am and that that hunger and that drive and those sort of things to and that um, maybe a little bit of that resilience that how do you bounce back from those things I think they're important yeah. things to happen uh, I think moving away from home at 18 and 
even when I, I went to Westfields early on, I moved away at 12 for, until year eight and then I came back to Katoomba High School and they're just all things that I think have helped probably shape my, my independence and yeah. ability to um, fit into different environments and adapt. Yeah. So, so we normally have a, a good conversation about resilience a little bit later on, but let, let's jump into that right now. You, you, you know, your career finish, you, you mentioned moving away from home and all that. Just how important is it for, for coaches, obviously for players, uh, but for coaches to develop that resilience on their journey? Oh, it's massive. It's a part of the job. I, I would suggest anybody out there who who thinks that um, it, that's not a massive piece, then, uh, you know, that's a false perception of what coaching is. There's highs, there's lows. Um, there's times where, you know, all over social media, you may be, you know, apparently losing your job or, you know, like this is speaking yeah. to coaches all over the world. You, yeah. That's the nature of this. You're going to apply for jobs you're not going to get. Um, you're going to win games, lose games. Some players are going, are going to go on to higher levels, some aren't. It's massive that work yeah. under you. Yeah. You, you're obviously teaching and, and I'm just going to assume at Westfield Sports High you're teaching football most of the time. Um, is, is, is resilience a bit like a muscle? Is it something that you can teach people? Is it something that can grow and get stronger in people? I think it definitely can grow, yeah. I think some of it is innate. Um, and, and if it is an innate, a, a person might look for an, an out or an excuse um, and, and then that won't really help you develop your resilience. I think a part of the growth is having people around who you trust to uh, pick you up at moments where you might have had something not go your way or whatever it might be, but then also who, who tell you the truth and maybe you weren't right for the job. You know, maybe yeah. you were, somebody beat you to it because they're – they're, they're better at it. They have a better skill set. You know, you need those people around you to build resilience, just like players need those coaches around them who um, are honest but consistent. Yeah, yeah. On on your journey as a, a player and, and now as a coach, which, which coach or coaches had the most impact on you and why was that? Uh, I think... Definitely a sum of a lot of parts um, on that journey, Gary. Like I said, I from a young age, I've had some good people uh, around uh, who have helped make sure that I've developed the technical side of my game as a player well, which helps transfer now, obviously, with, with coaching. And in saying that, you know, I'm, there can be a perception that a former player is going to make a good coach. Absolutely false, you know, you know. You know, it, it may help at times with demonstrating techniques and those sort of things, but that buy-in only lasts so long if that's what you're based on. Um, so I, I think there's been a lot of different people. Um, what has been consistent on my journey has been my parents and my close friends, my, my yeah. small circle. So that's something that would be the most significant, their support. Um, I mentioned Tony DiCicco earlier who at a time in my career – where I was at a crossroad, had I made the right decision to go to college in the US. Um, at 16, I was getting called into national team stuff and then at 18, I wasn't. So, you know, the whole thing of Australia not having a lot of international footballs at that time, being a part of uh, football games at that time, being a part of Oceania, did I yeah. make the right decision where I've walked away from being in a 
senior national team. Um, <laughs> he sort of reinstalled a lot of belief in myself um, and a, a lot of love for where I wanted to be, and that was a true professional. Um, yeah. So I think he's somebody who I, I saw how he cared about his players but also the standards he held. He has won, I think, two Olympic Games, a couple of World Cups. I, I dare say he's the most decorated coach in women's football. Um, yeah. But just to see how he treated people off the field as people was something that's significant. Uh, early on, uh, I had Alan Sajik for a long time, so I had him from the age of, you know, 14 to 18, um, yeah. amongst so, some other really good people uh, within Australia who have taught me a lot about football and coaching as well. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of people along the journey. There's not one person and you take yeah. a little bit from all. I certainly yeah. don't think I mimic somebody or, you no. know. You've got to find your own way of, of doing it, don't you? Absolutely. Yeah. Is that, I know you were formerly in the FA um, Women's Coach Mentoring Program. Is how important is mentoring for young aspiring coaches? Maybe not just young coaches, maybe for all coaches. Is there opportunities to learn from people that are wiser? Absolutely. I think it's a, an essential part of anybody's journey. Uh, so my involvement in, in that program was, was an excellent experience, a good starting point. Uh, it afforded me the opportunity to go in as the under-17 national team assistant with Ante Urich who um, I learn a lot from. And, you know, if that's my first introduction to national teams working with somebody of, of his calibre, then yeah. um, it's a good start. And he, he just showed me a, a different way of doing things that, that I was used to. Um, and, again, it's just that exposure. It's having like-minded people around you. Um, yeah, you, you really can't be what you can't see, I think. So that I think visibility as mentors and then um, just people who are professionals and leaders is so important for aspiring coaches at all levels. Yeah. No, I couldn't agree more. Thanks for that. So then what is coaching? It's complex. Uh, it is enjoyable. <laughs> and it's enjoyable and aspiring coaches out there, you're at risk of catching the bug, um, which is essential if you want to enjoy it too because there are ups and downs. Um Look, it's essentially it's just supporting people along their journey, really, and then finding ways to support yourself on that journey um, because I think we can get a little bit lost in our role as an educator and um, support network for players to reach the top level. Um, you actually don't realise that you're, again, you're that role model for others. So other coaches who begin to look up to you, who to look, look towards you for leadership and advice, um, at times you're a psychologist. I work at a level now where we have psychologists, nutrition, all those sort of things, but that's not yeah. not everyone's environment. So you might be that in your environment if that's what yeah. you have you have at your dispersal. Um, yeah, so th there's a lot to it and it's an interesting job because it's certainly not one that when you finish a training session, you take off your boot, you walk away from work. It's yeah. not how coaching is. Um, yeah form genuine relationships with people and um, that authentic nature of it is something that I, I really enjoy. Yeah. 
You're obviously a full-time teacher as well. Is teaching at the heart of it, do you think? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And it's finding different ways to teach people. Um, not every learner is the same. There's not one player I have that I work with that I can say, uh, as an example, I work with a right fullback. She's exactly like Ellie Carvin. No way. They're also different. They might run, you know, close yeah. to running as quick as Ellie and they might have to cross the ball like Ellie, but there's going to be so many different little intricacies about that person's personality, what environments they thrive in, how do they take on feedback, are they somebody you need to show video to uh, as well as give an instruction or can you just yeah. give them instruction and they do it straight away? There's so much to it and knowing your room and knowing your players for me is at the heart of uh, any anything that you want to become successful. Yeah. No, thanks for that. I, I like that. We've had a... Um a couple of chats in the last 12 months on here about in coaching the difference between aspiration and capability um you know for club coaches often get to spend you know at the elite end almost every day with their players sometimes um more than once a day with their players so helping players teaching players um whether that be individually or collectively in groups is one thing and, and you know, we can have these aspirations, but it, and it might be in your case, you want to qualify and go and play in world championships with a with a, a group of young women. How do you deal with that between this is where what we want to achieve, this is how we want to play, this is the philosophy. Right now, this is the group that we've got, and this is where we're at. How do you how do you make that work? How do you find that balance? Uh, as I said, we, we treat the playing group and the players within that group as individuals. So there's a, a strong emphasis in my role in future Matildas in players going from a future Matildas environment into the senior national team, the that, that environment. So for yeah. us, we look for what, what are the consistencies? So what are the, the skills and the attributes? What's the physical capabilities that we know are needed to go into that senior environment? Um, what's the emotional stability that's needed? Because you're asking younger players to go into who are very successful at youth level or maybe the W League to go into a senior environment where you're no longer the best player. Sam yeah. Kerr is or Emily Van Egnan is. And you're no longer, you know, potentially in the passing practices, the centre of the coach's attention um, if it's a, something tactical. Yeah, as an example. So we try to bridge that gap between environments, um, whether it be through the well-being stuff off the field and then obviously the on-the-field stuff. It's best preparing the individual for what's beyond us. Um, and, and whether that's in football and going the Matildas or whether that's in other areas of life, there's some players we work with who are, who are highly academic um, yeah. and, and might not become top professional footballers. That's the nature of... The business um yep. so do they leave us as good people and that's okay that if that's our absolutely ceiling and we take out everything else whether you're going to be a matilda a superstar or whatever you're going to be as long as you leave our environment better than how you came in for that that's a success yeah no no i like that again can, can you just explain for for um uh, our coaches out there can you explain exactly what the future matildas program is and how that works 
Yeah, so the Future Matildas program is a fairly new initiative. Um, again, that was brought in by FA, and at the start of it, uh, Gary Van Egman was the head coach in Alan Stajic's initiative. Um, I was involved in the program as an assistant coach initially slash program manager, a couple of hats. Um, so it was brought in to bridge the gap between being a young Matilda and a, and a Matilda. Um, or maybe a junior midfielder in a Matilda, or maybe somebody who's been playing the MPL and you've had a cracking season and you get called into the Matildas, yeah. you know. So uh, players all over the country were identified as being high potential, so there was something special about them that meant potentially they could play international football. So technically yeah. were they excellent or maybe uh, physically they were. The, there's a certain criteria that we look at um, in that arena and not everybody ticks every box. You know, there might be one thing that's their weapon that we just look to further develop. So that's how it started. Um, and it also started as a great opportunity for our Matildas to train in that environment um, in addition to their club stuff. So if they were home for extended periods of time, coming back from injury, so they were back in Australia, if they were already in Australia and just playing in sort of an MPL environment, uh, we brought them all into Sydney and we would train them as a group. So naturally, uh, the intensity of your training session is going to go up. You've got the best with the best. Uh, yeah. We felt that was an excellent initiative to um, roll out. We're only in year, we'll, we'll be going into year four. So uh, three years we've had the, the program up and running and it, it's growing from strength to strength. Um, do we need more uh, of these programs? Absolutely. And, you know, are we always wanting more top-end resources and those sort of things? Well, of I'm a coach, I want more. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, we've found that it's been a really nurturing space for those sort of players, like a, a Carly Rosbacken as an example, to come in with us for 12 months, live with a homestay family. Um, sim we train um, similar methods, so whoever's the senior national team coach at the time, um, obviously I've got good insights into what, what they want out of their players and then we try and mimic yeah. it in our own training environment by playing boys, again, training the best with the best, off-field servicing, nutrition, psych, um, try and make it as professional as we can for the girls. Yeah. And is that, is it based in Sydney? Is it, is it it's not camp-based? You're not bringing them in uh, for camp yeah. on and off or are they? At the moment, it's, it's based in um, Sydney and the, there's some other programs that will be up and running all over the country, which is exciting. Yeah. Um, so it's based in Sydney. We place the players with homestay families. Uh, we want that family connection for them still. So they go home at night and, and they're still a, a part of that. Most of them are quite young. So yeah. we've had players in the program from the age of 15 to some of 25, 26. I mentioned some of the Matildas training in the environment at different times. Yeah. Um, but it's it's just supplementary to their, their W League because they're with us outside of the W League window, which with the current um, season is is a hunk of the year. That's yeah. another thing. So, um, yeah, it, it's great to have them all together and uh, – yeah, I actually look forward to when we kick off in March slash April next year. Yeah, so you said it's been going for almost four years, but I guess almost two years of that has been – we've had COVID, which I'm guessing sort of hit or, or limits the program uh, and what, what you how often you can get people together. Um, in your, um, I think, 2019, um, you um, – 
went to the AFC under-19 Women's Championship and we finished fourth behind Japan and both Koreas. Mm-hmm. Um, some fantastic young players come through. Kyra Cooney-Cross, Princess Sabini, Shay Evans, uh, Court. Courtney Nevin and and Mary Fowler whacked in a cool four goals for you. Not too shabby that. Mm-hmm. Um, wh- where are where are they at when you look at Japan and the careers at that age group? And you mm-hmm. look at our girls. Are we is it are we technically behind them? Is it you know what what what? How are we? Where are you taking those future Matildas? And and how are we? What do we need to help them do to help them? And and uh, well, not just women's football, men's football in Australia continue to grow and get stronger? Yeah, look, uh, match minutes at the highest level is something that's important for our youngsters. Mm. So um, obviously the nature of the W League this year and last year with a lot of more senior players uh, moving abroad and, um, you know, maybe clubs not having access to as many internationals um, in saying that it's great to have internationals in the W League. But... um, that's provided greater opportunities for players so that they're not going their MPL season and then being trained on players, um, as an example, in a W League environment and then going away um, to a major tournament. Now they're going to have played significant match minutes um, yeah. for most of the year if they've been involved in a future Matildas program. And um, I'm the first one to say this, and obviously I'm the head coach of that program and it, we breed a lot of success, but there yeah. isn't one way for everyone. So, you know, listening out there who isn't in that program, it doesn't guarantee your Matilda's jersey hard work and being a good person and being a good player does. But, you know, so I'm very mindful of those perceptions, even though I do love my program and I know it's good. But, um, yeah. yeah, so there's a lot, there's a lot. And the match minutes thing is key because, mm. you know, the contact time we get as a national team and, um, the Future Matilda is a great example of a fantastic initiative by FA and AIS to invest in football. Um, this investment's been all over the world for a long time. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, that's Australia's a big place geographically, so even getting players together. But these are things I'm saying that aren't excuses. They're barriers that have been identified, and we're doing something about it. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. it's... Um, Hmm. I think, Leah, across men's and women's football, if you, you know, go go roll, roll the clock back 20, 30 years even when, you know, we played in Asia and we dominated, we were quick and strong and physically that got us, that got us uh, over across a lot of lines. Um, but the money invested in football throughout Asia uh, has been quite incredible uh, over hmm. that time. And as a consequence, I think we've seen um, m- most countries get, significantly stronger over that period of time absolutely and that that's what you're that's the challenge that you that you face with as a national coach isn't it yeah definitely yeah okay let, let, let's keep moving uh moving along has your or has your how has your coaching changed over your journey uh look i, I think it's developed immensely when I look at um, when I first started coaching to where I am now and you know the potential growth there as well because there's certainly a lot to learn and a lot to experience um, I, I think immensely I think now I'm in more of a position with a good understanding of bringing others along the journey with you um, whether it's your staff and it's your playing group and those sort of things you know your playing group is going to change quite often every cycle or 
whatever it might be, program year sometimes, or if you're head coach of a new club or, you know, that's that's going to happen. But I think bringing others on the journey is something when I, I think of when I first started coaching, I'll use an example, under 14s, MacArthur Rams, I was the head coach and I had a good support staff around me and those sort of things. But now it's sort of understanding the importance of placing good people around you and bringing them on that journey, delegating as a head coach. I, as I said, I started in Future Matildas as an assistant coach, as a program manager. They're completely different hats to a head coach. <laughs> uh, and that's probably what a lot of coaches face. You want to be a head coach, an assistant coach, or, you know, I, for a while there I was getting called in to do the, the scouting a lot with the national team, and I love it, don't get me wrong, but I certainly wasn't scouting is something that I assist with, you know, so you yeah. run that like I mean, analyst as well, which is nothing wrong with that. But yeah. um, I think it's, yeah, that that um, understanding of who you want to be and I know now I want to be a head coach and I am and I, I become a lot more ambitious in that space as opposed to when I was an assistant coach or um, assistant slash program manager. Yeah. And it, it, it changes. We, we have a giggle here. Um, as you can tell, I've got the chuckles on because I, I think that most of us start life as an assistant coach um, mm. and you're in that environment, you're talking to the head coach all the time. But uh, once you get your first head coaching role, you come to a quick conclusion that you, uh, that you don't know what you don't know uh, and go on a very steep learning curve. A hundred percent. And my biggest advice would be there, and I, I don't know if you say it's in football, you've got to get on the tools. So you have to learn your apprenticeship <laughs> along the way before you become a head coach. Because we see it time and time again, right, where um, I'm so grateful for the roles I've had in, in scouting and analysis. And even at the moment, I'm, I'm doing a fair bit of um, commentary. So I'm watching football more, yeah. you know, and there's just ways you can continue to develop yourself and, the broader your skill set, the more attractive and available you can become in other environments. So as I mentioned, I was utilised as an analyst at Scout, like an opponent analyst, not cutting Kate Crowen's grass. She was the head analyst of the Matildas. I'm not aware, okay? But, um, yep. I, you know, I, but I that taught me I, I got to see so much international football from those tournaments. It's, yep. it's fantastic. Yeah, we, we had a chat with um John Aloisi, I think I called him a, um, a um, an armchair coach when he was um, doing the commentary on Optus Sport before he, mm -hmm. he got the gig at, at um, uh, Western United down here in Melbourne. And he said the same thing. You know, the fact you're in that commentary role, you've got, you spend so much time looking at football and analysing football because that's what the role is. You know, you, you're, you're expected to talk and be an expert in the area. So, yeah, no, no, no that, that's really good. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I'm just going to ask about a coaching mentor, and you've, we've discussed that already. Have you have other sports influenced your coaching at all? Have you had an opportunity to look at other sort of team invasion sports and look at leadership development or culture development from there? Has that been something that you've looked at? Yeah, I was involved. I was involved in the AIS leadership course. Uh, would have been about two years ago now, and that was um, a variety of head coaches, assistant coaches, yeah, in all different sports across Australia. So it was a fantastic program. Um, we had some contact time at the AIS and we discussed different things from, you know, barriers um, of, of being a female coach in, in our sports, um, some leadership stuff. I recently um, did some really good 
um, work with the Artram Group and Jane Jennings on um, different leaderships and profiling and, and those sort of things. So um, I've had a good exposure um, to some other sports. Being at a sports high school as well, um, you're in a daily environment where th there's coaches at our school who are involved with NRL environments who are athletics coaches, tennis coaches. Um, this place, um, in terms of coach development, is a hidden gem. It's yeah. uh, it's a daily environment where you're surrounded by top people in your field, but also um, other sports. And you actually you talk to them obviously about what they do, but you watch them train next to you, and <laughs> it's fantastic. And our sports director there, Joan Kenny, she's fantastic in in bringing everybody together. Uh, some of the other national team staff actually work at the school um, that are involved in the men's and women's side and. Yeah. Um, we've just got a fantastic team and group of leaders embedded in one program every day. Yeah. It, it, I, I just love the fact that coaches uh, in the main uh, are just so willing to share and, and talk about the development of, uh, of players, athletes and teams. It's just uh, I, I don't think I can recall asking another coach uh, about what they're doing and, and them not being interested in talking about it and sharing ideas. It's uh, it's wonderful, wonderful to, yeah. to, for that to happen. Just like I said, that daily basis, and you, you mentioned a coach mentor before, and again, yeah, my full-time one is a absolute gem in Casey De Bruin, who's played a, a part in so many players' careers and, and is still doing it. I um, mean, in, well into his 70s. Yeah. Um, but he's somebody who we have access all the sports to and football are obviously a saturated access to him on a daily basis and his knowledge of the game and his knowledge of how to get the best out of coaches. Um, you know, I still know I can be wearing an Australian top right now, but I can hear him sometimes saying, Lee, you bloody don't know anything, you know. <laughs> and do you know what? That's what I, I need that. I need that. <laughs> person who's in my corner who's yeah. reminding me there's still more to go. Yeah. It, it drives you. You know, it's a and, and that is the key to the mentoring, isn't it? It, it? it only really works when you can do that with someone that that you trust and, and that you know that they've got your best interests at heart and you can take all that feedback um, with the with the love that uh, and generosity that, that, that it's intended. Oh, I'll be in trouble for saying this aloud because I know he's my biggest fan and he'll say, <laughs> you look like I don't support you. He is my biggest fan. He only says that to me, safe space. Um, but that's something that I, you know, it's a massive factor in who I am as a coach and hopefully where I end up. Yeah. No, good. I like that, mate. Um, why do you do it? Why do you coach? Oh, I've got the bug. I enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, there's no secret to it. You, you love it. I love all sides of it. Um, yeah, it's just something that, uh, again, I've grown up sports orientated. Um, I'm super competitive. Um, and that, that's something that you mentioned, what do you learn along the way? It's how do you control that competitiveness, right? Um and you develop yourself in that space. But, um, yeah, it's just a bug. And, and, yeah, it's not really like a job. 
No, go out and, and do what you love. Not, not too many people get to do that every day. That's no. great. What have been uh, some of your most enjoyable moments so far? Uh, definitely seeing different players progress, um, whether it be, um, I mentioned before, whether they've gone into the Matildas. So most recently there's been a fair few young Matildas mm. going that space, uh, whether it be seeing players juggle year 12 and get 90 plus ATARs and still play football at a good level and those sort of things, or players who decide, you know, football's given me enough and, and start their own businesses and are good people. That's it yeah. at the end of the day. I, um, it's funny because at the, when things happen at the time, they're, they're great. But I'm finding now as I get older maybe it's players who from five years ago message you because they want to get a coffee and they're just so appreciative of, you know, the, their journey and the part you played that really becomes meaningful. Um, we had a, a thing at school the other day where the Bulls were training and they'd, we were training next to the MacArthur Bulls A-League team and two of our young lads had heard Casey, um, you know, doing the Casey thing on the field and, you know, getting the best out of the kids and uh, they've, you know, jumped over from when they finished their training, of course, and wanted to watch him in action again because they've got so much respect for him. And that's the kind of thing I want to be because those guys don't have to do that and they talk to the kids and um, they're just so grateful. Matty Ryan sent home a, a, suit, a suitcase full of goalkeeper gloves uh, to, to our school program. I can't imagine when you're coming home for soccer's duty you, it goes through your head that you're going to put 40 pairs of gloves in a suitcase, bring them to Australia and give them back to the, the school program and the kids you don't even know. And yeah. those things for, for me and for our school, and, I, you know, I wasn't there when Matty Ryan was there, Brody Crane, our goalkeeper coach, yeah. was Trevor and Casey. Those are the kind of moments, though, that, that, that that's the biggest reward. Yeah. Yeah, no, I like that a lot. Um, all right, we're getting close to the end here. What what have been some of the most valuable lessons you've learned? The resilience piece is one. Um, having good people around you who are uh, on the same journey as you, that that's important um, in terms of all your staffing and, and those sort of things. Um almost so I say promoting, but recognising that their ambition and they want to go on and, you know, be at the highest level they can in, in our sport and supporting that journey. I think that's something yeah. that's, that's been a good lesson and how do you do that if you're the head coach? How do you support and make sure you're upskilling people around you um, to partake on their own individual journeys? Um, I think they're important lessons and then, um, the last part, again, you have to, I mentioned the bug, you have to love this game or and you have to love the roles you're in or it's, it can be difficult. Mm. Yeah, no, absolutely agree. Um, I just, it's just dawned on me, we've not really discussed the, the, the dilemma of coaching national teams during pandemics and, and having international tournaments cancelled. Mm-hmm. What's... In, firstly, what's that been like for you? And what, what have the young Matildas got coming up? What, what's, what are you actually preparing the young Matildas for at this point in time? Yeah, look, we had to be very flexible during um, the pandemic. 
um, and it actually allowed us to think a little bit laterally and um, I almost a little bit innovative at times. So the, the key thing for us um, initially and along the way was, you know, the players' well-being first because somewhere, you know, may have lost jobs, may have football becomes a little bit secondary to all those things, right? Um, yeah. So that was the first part. So what we we set up off the pitch, a lot of support networks around um, different athlete well-being workshops, uh, we have regular cooking classes for them because a part of being a professional athlete is moving away from home and getting out that fry pan, right? So, um, you know, great opportunity just to immerse the players in more of those activities. We moved online um, Pilates, online football sessions. In a, you know, the girls were in their garages with footballs and we had an instructor. Uh, I opted to bring in another voice so that it didn't become um, the daily redundance of me standing in front of them demoing and also was getting tired too and the ankle a bit sore. So we <laughs> we, we actually utilised it. It sounds nuts, but it's, it's what we had. And yeah. for the players, an authentic experience is to have a footballer in front of them demonstrate online, you know, then because yeah. we're seeing a lot of home videos of different athletes doing exercises. Our S&C took care of all the the running programs and those sort of things. So it was just about engagement and it was okay if some days you didn't want to train. That's okay. Yeah. Like it was just a different, a different world and um, a different opportunity. We are able to increase our playing pool. So typically we have 20 full scholarship holders in future Matildas and then up to 10-ish um, training players who might partake in some of the program, not all the program. We were able to extend to 30, 40 players because it was online. So yeah. more Victoria had access to us, uh, more kids, you know, in, in uh, ACT, like some of the states. And, again, all targeted players, so it certainly wasn't yeah. a here's the link to go and jump on. Um, but it just gave us the opportunity to reach more people, uh, engage in more coach education workshops online with the different states. Uh, yeah, another opportunity to get one day better. Yeah. Is how we have to roll with it. Yeah. And and what is coming up, Leah? What's what's what are you currently preparing them for? So we're awaiting uh, for AFC to release our next cycle dates um, for qualification. So uh, the FIFA World Cup for the U19s will go ahead in uh, I believe it's August. Uh, sorry, March. Um, Australia didn't qualify for that through the last round of. Um, well, the last cycle. So yep. how that works is the teams that qualified to the previous one get automatic qualification, which is fair, and yep. we'll just look to build for our next cycle. Uh, okay. A good chunk of the previous cohort or still current cohort um, are all in the W League setups across the country at the moment, which is yep. fantastic um, that yep. they're in environments where they're potentially going to get match minutes, uh, the the professionalism of the clubs is is on the up, which is fantastic. Yeah. There's been the team added more games. Um, there's certainly a lot more in place than um, what might be in an assumption had the pandemic and didn't have anything. And what's next? There's there's a yeah. lot going. Yeah, it, it, it's exciting times, obviously, with the women's World Cup coming up in 23 and the expanded. A-League women's program, I've got to keep saying that right, the A-League women's program um, with a, the additional team coming in. So more, more games as, as, and uh, a World Cup um, on our front doorstep is just really, really exciting, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, 
the is there a I know we're in the Asian Football Confederation and within that we're in the AFF and I can't remember what a Asian yeah I can't remember what what that actually means the AFF there's a there's normally a tournament every couple of years as well is that but that was cancelled is that was that in Uzbekistan uh, that was that was cancelled, and it, the last time Australia uh, competed in that, that's actually when we saw um, the emergence, I, I guess, of your Mary Fowlers. Um, we, we took an under twenty three aged team to that tournament, which was a senior yeah. tournament, um, and it was a combination of, uh, as I said, those maybe fringe Matildas who, yep. you know, might not have broken in or getting a lot of game time in that senior setup with a lot of our. Our youngsters and you know young players like Holly McNamara, who's at Melbourne City this year, who will feature, who's an absolute star. Um, you know, we took her at an early age to those tournaments as a 15-year-old. So it's we use it as a combination of blooding in some of our youngsters, giving game time to some of our older ones. Um, if that yeah. opportunity uh, arises again, um, I dare say it's a fantastic experience for Australia to compete in. Um, yeah. yeah. That's fantastic. Plenty to look forward to. Okay, final question for me from today, maybe. That's it. If you have, <laughs> if you have one piece of wisdom you could offer coaches, what would that be? Be consistent. Yeah, just just be consistent in your messaging. Be consistent in how you treat your group in everything you do. Um, not everybody's always going to like the decisions you make. That's a part of the, the role. But just your consistency in that space, I think it goes a long way. Yeah. No, I love that. What a great place to finish. Thank you, Leah Blaney. You've been listening to The Football Coaching Life, a podcast brought to you by Football Coaches Australia and Making Media the Podcast Professionals. If you've enjoyed today's podcast, go to www. Well, that's easy for me to say, www.footballcoachesoz.org.au. Buy a membership, renew a membership, or just find out a little bit about some of the resources we've got on there. Leah Blaney, Head Coach Young Matildas, thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for your enthusiasm. Thank you all you're doing for the development of um, young players and coaches. The empowerment of, of, of women is just so important for the future of our football. So keep up the great work. Thanks, Gary.